Live from Crestview Studios, Florida, it's the Dave and Duke Collins Show. And now here's your co-host, Speak Free Radio owner David Gahari and the incomparable Dr. David Duke. Limber up your dialing fingers. Okay, folks, hello. This is Dave Gahari, and you're listening to the Dave and Duke Call-In Show on speakfreeradio.com. Right now it's 6.02 and a half, approximately, central time. So figure it out from wherever you're at, um, how central time relates to you. And it is January 14th already, halfway through January about. Crazy. It was just Christmas. It was just Thanksgiving. It was just the summer. I don't get it. It just seems to be going faster and faster and faster. So let's go over some of the housekeeping stuff here on the Dave and Duke call-in show on speakfreeradio.com. First thing I'm going to do is listen to see if it's on, and it is on. And when you go to speakfreeradio.com, of course, for the new listeners, You'll see the schedule. That's what it defaults to. And it's a 24-7 radio station. This show is on Sundays, uh, every Sunday uh, at this time for two hours. It used to be an hour. We had to bump it up to two because all the calls that were coming in. So here we are. Uh, we have been doing this for over a year, and we're having a great time and looking forward to many more years. So uh, if you're new to Speak Free Radio, Check out the schedule, and you'll see what's on. Uh, if you want to come into this show to ask uh, Dr. Duke a question or make a comment, you click on the call and chat button, and then you click on the show's icon, and that will bring you into the waiting room in the studio. If you want to hear the old shows, the previous shows, click on podcasts, and you'll see, again, a bunch of uh, icons, colored icons, and just pick the one you want, and you can hear tons and tons of of shows. If you're on a mobile phone, click on that mobile phone icon to the left, and uh, everything will work in a similar fashion. Of course, it's a little different. Uh, the menu is a little different on the uh, on the mobile phone. So uh, now the show. Uh, for those of you who don't know. Uh, anyone can call in from anywhere in the world and ask Dr. David Duke a question or make a comment. And he has two minutes to answer, uh, that, uh, that question or comment. And then on that, uh, two minute mark or, or a little bit before that two minute mark, we'll hear this sound. And then on the two minute mark, Close to it, we'll hear it again. We'll move to the next call. And, of course, this is all based on how fill, filled up we are, filled up we are. A lot of times it's full. And I have to, uh, you know, take a look at that and then uh, move move the show along. Uh, you know, sometimes questions or comments uh, require a um, a longer answer. And... Uh, sometimes they don't. Uh, so uh, we'll see uh, how it goes. And uh, again, uh, sometimes it could be hectic. 
uh, because of all the folks in here. And then it happens usually toward the end. And then most of the times after each show, uh, we have an after show show. So you can come in and have a personal time with David. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's really nice. We've been doing, like I said, we've been doing this for a while and, uh, we have some great, great participants, some great listeners. And the show is, uh, is based, it, the direction of the show is based on, uh, the callers. So, uh, you know, your questions and comments are what directs the show. Uh, you know, in contrast to, uh, like a, like a typical talk show where topics are selected beforehand or, uh, ad hoc. So the, um, the usual ongoing challenge, uh, is that if anyone can let us know of a more, uh, significant, um, uh, existential threat to humanity and to free speech other than OIJ, Organized International Jury, please let us know and we'll quit the show. And alongside of that, if someone can let us know of a more effective deliverer of that message, please let us know and we will quit. Honestly, it sounds funny, but it's true. We would uh, prefer to quit. It's not going to happen, but, you know, I guess that's why we could say it. Uh, Before we get to Dave, uh, it is uh, pretty darn cold. Here, I guess in a lot of a lot of the country, it's pretty cold, and you don't hear those, um, you know, those climate change, global warming fanatics as much when it gets cold, uh, which is which is really funny. I just saw a um, like a meme of uh, you know the doyen of this whole global warming nonsense, this uh, Greta Thunberg who. You know, the Jews, uh, you know, marched out and propped up and told her to tell everyone, how dare you? And, uh, she's like rich. She's like a, a multimillionaires. So along with like Al Gore, you know, anyone who latches onto this bullshit and then they call us climate deniers, they get rich. It's incredible. Uh, so here it's really cold. It's going to go down to the teens here in the Florida panhandle. And I imagine it's going to, uh, get like that where my good friend David Duke is uh, out in uh, NOLA, New Orleans, Louisiana. Is that true, Dave? No, it's not true at all. We uh, Tonight we're going to be, believe it or not, we're going to have a low of, uh, what is it going to be? Oh, it's going to be like 47 degrees, maybe 43 degrees. Yeah, and no, then, not tonight. I just mean like in the coming like next couple of weeks. Oh, next, get- yeah, next week it should be in the 28, whatever. Yep. Uh, yep. tomorrow night yeah but uh, that's pretty cold for us more than we have this year so so we got to make sure we have the antifreeze in the car <laughs> yeah exactly so how are you feeling today my friend i'm feeling good i just uh i've been doing a little bit of work with dr slattery we did a couple of tapes on some stuff that's going on you know we we lost i think a really good commentator and a really honest and courageous man who was in ukraine Actually, he's married to a Ukrainian woman, but he's still American. He's an American citizen. Was. Uh, was an he, American citizen, right? Well, he's still an American. Well, he, he, was, he died an American citizen. So, I mean, you know, he was. No, I mean, he's dead, right? He's dead now, but yeah. that doesn't make him, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the person is an American citizen, and he's dead now. Yes, you're right. <laughs> but um, nothing to smile about, though. He, he was tortured to death uh, by the Jews. 
And uh, he exposed a lot of things about Victoria Newland and these Jews and, and her husband Kagan. These were Jews that had this deep embedded hatred against uh, Russians, against Christians, against European people. And they even had lot, lots of hatred against Ukraine. Uh, and, and they had a lot of uh, hatred against Europe. In fact, that famous phone conversation of Victoria Newland, which was uh, actually intercepted. And, uh, and it's true that they, they, they couldn't even deny it. But so they talked about putting in this Jewish guy to head Ukraine. They ultimately got, of course, Zelensky, a Jew, and then the president as a Jew, and then the uh, prime minister as a Jew, and uh, headed into all these other people. And uh, that's the difference between Ukraine and Russia. Russia has been doing real well under Putin. Uh, Ukraine didn't have Putin. The Jewish oligarchs still control that country. But it's just interesting how uh, he was an American citizen. And, you know, our State Department, usually they stand up and they fight for people in America, supposedly, right? And uh, they could have yeah, even yeah. out of there. Like Rachel Corey. Yeah. They didn't get him out. And they could have. And he and they ba- they basically tortured him. Uh, the first time they, they, they tortured him, they they literally um, would take toothpicks and scratch the white of his eyes, right? And try to, you know, I mean, you can imagine how excruciating that would be. And, and then they would say, how you, you know, how are you going to like it? You know, not, you know, being blinded or, you know, having one eye or whatever pretty soon. And, uh, and, and then they were beating him hard in the chest to testify to that. How do, how do we know this for sure, Dave? Well, he, 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 told us all and, and i guarantee you i guarantee you that he knew they couldn't refute it and they wouldn't refute it because um because then that would have made a bigger bigger deal of it right but um we all you know i i absolutely believe it and i know it but he died of a pneumonia and he died of the kind of pneumonia that happens when your leg his lung was collapsed by being beaten hit in the heart and hit hit in in the lungs uh, and and he ultimately ultimately got pneumonia from it, and they didn't treat him properly. And he wouldn't. He, it was only fifty three years old. He shouldn't have died of pneumonia. He wouldn't have died. They wanted to get rid of him because he was testifying against the uh, what was going on with Zelensky. And I listened to probably fifty or sixty of his programs. He was an excellent commentator. He came out about the the Jewish power, uh, not as blatantly as we do or you do or I do, but he did pretty damn well. He talked about how the Newlands and uh, and Robert Kagan, who is her husband, and all these Jews in the State Department, how they had this long-running hatred of the Russian people, which they do. So I really have a lot of respect for him, and I, I really felt sad when he died because, I mean, it was just, I felt, it's amazing when you listen to somebody a lot. I imagine there's a lot of people feel that way about you, Dave. And I know there's a lot of people who feel that way about me. I don't know if I deserve it or not, but it's really wonderful uh, that people actually listen to you and they get they feel like they're close to you and um, they they get a sense of your heart. You get a sense of your spirit. They get a sense of, uh, you know, they know a bit of your history. And um, and they care about you, even if they've never met you. And and that's the way I feel a lot of, about a lot of people I've never met, but I've honored them in their life because of uh, because of the things that they've done courageously and and uh, intelligently, 
and their passion and their intelligence was so great. He was a very good speaker, and he he really worked. Most of his life was devoted to, uh, and this part of his life anyway, he was in a very dangerous place, and uh, he was devoted to telling the truth about what was going on in Ukraine and this mass slaughter of Europeans that's going on, which is orchestrated by Jews, just like they're orchestrating the slaughter of uh, the Palestinian people. And um, when I thought about this today, I always seem to give you a little something, you know, uh, just to start the show off to kind of illustrate our points. And uh, one thing I looked about at this morning, I knew I was going to do the show tonight, and uh, I looked up uh, again the famous, fantastic, uh, powerful article of the things that Winston Churchill wrote way back in uh, 1920, in, uh, in 1920 yeah, February 8, and in the uh, Illustrated Sunday Herald. And I'll just give a quote away started, which could start the show, as well as a short quote from Ynet News, which is a Jewish publication. But in this article, uh, he he just literally just laid it all out. And let me give you what he said. Now, this is a person that's very much respected. I don't have the respect for him. Other people do. But he did tell the truth about the Jewish situation um, in 1920. And this is, this is one of the things he said. And he talks about Leon Trotsky and the Jewish takeover of Russia and the Jewish effort to dominate the world under Jewish domination, communism, which was, and he points out that it was a Russian revolution, and they killed millions of people. He called it the Red Terror. But anyway, he says, quote, the cruel penetration of Trotsky's mind leaves him in no doubt that his schemes of a worldwide communistic state under Jewish domination. All right. And then he goes on to talk about um, the, the the fact that the Jews were struggling between Zionism and communism. He didn't mention, by the way, that the that the Zionist Jews were supporting communism just as much as the communist Jews. And, and in fact, Zionist Jews like Jacob Schiff in New York City, a long way away from Russia, a long way away from Israel, uh, he was the biggest single financier of the Bolshevik Revolution. He gave money personally, directly, Leon Trotsky in New York City. Uh, his, and Leon Trotsky's real name was, of course, Lev Brunstein. And in the article, he talks about, I'll just give a short quote from this because we're going to go right to the show here. But he gives a, an amazing quote. He says, uh, it's amazing. I'll just, I'll just say it. He says, um, now at last a span of extraordinary personalities. And then he talks about how these, all these Jewish leaders, all these Jewish communists all over the world were Jews. A Jew was leading the Communist Party in Germany. A Jew was leading the Communist Party in southern Germany when they did the revolution with, with Luxembourg. Uh, Bella Kuhn in Hungary, Rosa Luxembourg, then continues. He says, now at last a span of extraordinary personalities from the underworld of the great cities of Europe and America have gripped the Russian people by the hair of their heads and have become practically the undisputed masters of that enormous empire. And... Um, and we're talking about 20, 30 million just in Russia alone, murdered, mainly Christians. And then we can talk about 7 to 11 million Christian, mainly kids and, and women and their children, uh, in the rush, in the famine of, uh, 
which was also covered up, by the way, the Jewish New York Times. They all work together. And continued to be covered up. Yeah. And now, and one of the things I wanted to mention, too, it's not just we are saying that. It's major Jews. The biggest publication in Israel is called Ynet News. And uh, this is a leading publication in Israel. And there's a writer who's a pretty good historian, believe it or not. And he writes some very frank things about Jews that very few people dare to. No Gentiles hardly dare to say it in this country, so people like us. So he writes an article called Stalin's Jews. And the subtitle of the article is by Sever Ploker. You can look it up, folks. And um, we mustn't forget, he says, Stalin's Jews. He says, um, we mustn't forget that some of the greatest murderers of modern times were Jewish. And he goes on to say, he says, we cannot know with certainty the number of deaths Chekhov is responsible for in its various manifestations, but the number is surely at least 20 million, including victims of the forced collectivization, the hunger, the purges, expulsions, the banishments, executions, and the mass death of the gulags. By the way, as I said repeatedly, in Gulag Alipelago 2, he shows the six top leaders of the Soviet death camps and torture camps, and they were all Jews. And he gives a little quote here that I can't wait to quote for you because it says so much, right? And this is what he says. He said, and us, all right, here, here we go. How could it have happened? Uh, how could it have happened? And it says, quote, and us, the Jews, an Israeli student finishes high school without even hearing the name Gingrich Yagoda, the greatest Jewish murderer of the 20th century. Now, we can call it about Lazar Kayanovich, too, by the way, and many others, and many other Jews. Lenin was a great murderer, and Trotsky was a great murderer. But those are, they have to keep honoring those people. Anyway, the greatest Jewish murderer of the 20th century, the GPU's deputy commander and founder and commander of the NKVD, Yagoda. That was the... the, the so-called, you know, communist, um, you know, intelligence committee, right? Just like they control American intelligence, so right? The secret police, right? Yes. And uh, diligent implemented Stalin's collective order and is responsible for the death of 10 million people. And he's Jewish, of course. His Jewish deputies established and managed the Gulag system. All right. Uh, anyway, and then they talk about Again, and they talk about a man, another Jew, who studied this a lot. And uh, he points out, listen to this. In 1934, according to published statistics, 38.5%. Now, this is Jews, maybe 1% or 2% of the population in Russia. There were 40% of those holding the most senior positions. That's a plurality, right? And the Soviet security apparatus were of Jewish origin. They, too, were gradually eliminated in the purges. You know, because Jews devour themselves like all monsters. Yes. In a fascinating lecture at Tel Aviv University convention this week, Dr. Halfin, Jewish, by the way, uh, described the waves of Soviet terror as a carnival of mass murder, fantasy of purges, and an Essianism of evil. Turns out that Jews, too, when they become captivated by a messianic ideology, can become great murderers among the greatest known by modern history. The Jews active in official communist terror apparatus in the Soviet Union and abroad, who at times led them. 
did not do this, obviously, as Jews. Well, they, they knew exactly what they were, but rather as Stalinist, communist, Soviet people. Therefore, we find it easy to ignore their origin and play down. What do we have to do with them? But let's not forget them. My own view is different. I find it unacceptable that a person will be considered a member of the Jewish people when he does great things, but is not considered part of our people when he does amazingly despicable things. Right. And, 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 uh, he said, even if we deny it, we cannot escape the Jewishness of the hangman who served the red terror with loyalty and dedication. And again, make it clear, please. We got to make it clear. Everybody listening. Everybody hadn't heard this before, didn't know it, right? All right. It wasn't that they were serving the Red Terror. No, the Red Terror was created by Leon Trotsky and Vladimir Lenin and Kamenev and Sverdlov. And later Stalin came to power. But the entire Red Terror was a Jewish operation and global communism was a Jewish operation. So when they talk about the mass murder the genocide of Gaza. Just understand, folks, this is nothing new for these for these Jewish radical supremacists, racial supremacists. Communism was about, as Churchill said, Jews taking over the world through communism. Zionism is about Jews taking over the world. It's not just about Israel. It's not just about right. killing Let me ask you a question about uh, that before we get to the call stage. Sure. Is it possible that Churchill, because we know that he was controlled by the Jews for sure after that, is it possible that Churchill did that on purpose to squeeze the Jews so they would support him? Well, I think that even the article itself was in service of the Jews. Uh, and, And this is interesting. Because I believe this is the kind of argument that, uh, you know, his biographer uh, makes about Churchill in his book called Churchill and the Jews, who also wrote a, a book on the history of Israel. And here's the situation. By the time he wrote this article, he was already, like, totally subsumed by the Rothschilds. The Rothschilds, he was a poor family, even though they had a class and land and a state and their, you know, Churchill automatic membership in the House of Lords. And he was in the military and he became pretty famous, good writer. And um, when, and these Jews, the, the Rothschilds, literally the Rothschilds, knew, Baron von Rothschild, they, they knew that the family was poor and they knew Churchill had a lot of influence. He was very articulate and they had a very famous British family with a lot of history in the wars and heroes and all the rest of it. So he knew that he, if he took Churchill and made him an asset for the Jews, that he, they could do great things. Like, for instance, you know, eventually a Second World War uh, and so many other things that they got, they got involved with. So what, one of the things that what happened with, with this article, and when I read the article the first time, we, I've used it a million times, and I've used it just now to help educate people about the truth about communism. But the truth is, the article itself, all this is true about communism. But in 1920, everybody knew it already. Everybody realized that communism was a Jewish thing, that the so-called Scotland Yard, Scotland House, which was British intelligence, 
uh, and before MI6. But they literally wrote a letter to all the governments of the world saying that the fact is that communism is an international movement led by Jews. Um, I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, but the Jew has had all this time since then to erase this from the memories of the goyim. That's so true. But here's the interesting thing, see. So so this was very clever. This is what you call really interesting uh, propaganda. Because so Churchill writes an article uh, called Zionism versus Communism, a soul, right, struggle for the soul of the Jewish people. And in this article, he says, communism is the biggest threat to humanity ever. That we all know it's totally Jewish, and it's totally run by Jews. And they didn't mention Stalin, I mean, they didn't mention Lenin, they didn't even realize it, then a lot of people, but he was also a Jew, which they kept secret, but we know now he was very Jewish and identified himself as a Jew. Uh, that was another good example of how they operate. So he could get up and give speeches and tell people in Russia how great Jews were, wonderful they are, but he didn't mention the fact that he was a Jew. So it sounded like he's a Russian saying it, right? And how great they are because they established communism and so forth in Russia, which was really taking out and was killing the best of the Goyim, which the Talmud says. And that's yeah, they're, exactly they're, they're chameleons. Yeah. Dave, let's get to this. Well, uh, I'm going to get to the last point here. I'm almost there. Okay. All right. But all right, so, so what he said was, he said, oh, yes, communism is horrible, but Zionism and the Jewish religion is wonderful. And we got to support Zionism because because that these are good Jews, right? They're the Jews of the book and all this other it's stuff. It's an oxymoron. It's it's crazy because the truth is, and this is a fact, that Jews, whether they were Zionist, and there were a lot of Zionists back then too, whether they were religious Jews, whether they were communist Jews, they all supported the communist revolution. Jewish Encyclopedia proves this. But Churchill's job was to say, oh, communism is bad, yes, but so many Jews are, are Zionist Jews or they're religious Jews, and they're just wonderful, wonderful people. The interesting thing is, of course, and the thing that cannot be denied, is that the leading Jews were both Zionists and communists. Zionism and communism has always had a very close relationship. Half of the founders of Israel were former communists, who helped kill the Germans and mass murdered them. They know how to commit mass murder. The Amalek are always out there ready to be killed, right? And the enemies of Jews. And, uh, and that the truth is that this has been going on for so many years. And the biggest financier of communism was Jacob Schiff, as I said earlier, who was a Jewish banker. Now, wasn't are, isn't bankers supposed to be, or aren't they the ultimate capitalists? Aren't they supposed to be the biggest enemies of communists? Why would Jewish yeah, bankers right. be supporting yeah. right, a communist yeah. government, which is supposed to take away the money and the bankers' exactly. money, right, and from the people yeah. who are rich? Well, right? that's why Untermeyer was complaining about the Jew bankers, right, right. when when he, when he uh, gave that holy war against Germany speech. Dave, let's get to the first yeah. caller. Okay, let's do it. All right, it. you ready? Yeah. Okay. Tommy, where are you calling from? Ah, let me see. Tommy Atkins. I bet you that that is our good friend Richard from the UK. Prove me wrong. 
Congratulations. Yeah, you guessed right. Thank well you. done, Gahari. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask both yourself, um, uh, Gahari, and also David Duke, um, your thoughts on the uh, New York tunnels that have um, been uh, making the news around Crown Heights. Um, what do you make of it? Do you think that this is a big story? Is it a non-story? Uh, your thoughts, please. Thank Dave, you let, me go, let me go first, Dave, because I'll be quick. I, uh, I don't think it's a, I, I think it's a non-story. I don't think it's anything other than a bunch of inbred Jewish freaks who wanted to dig, uh, you know, some tunnels to do whatever they do, uh, in, in their private, uh, dealings. And that's why I think a spat allegedly broke out between the authorities of that, whatever it was that Jew, Jew school. Yeah, uh, and these, to be building tunnels under the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and these uh, and these young freakish Jews. That's what I think. I, I think it's a nonsense. And it's so weird. It's all yours, these, Dave. These were the same Jews who ran this body parts ring, including a bunch of rabbis, by the way. This is back in 2008 and nine. It's the same group of Jews. And now they're building tunnels, and they got these you – know, they're bringing out these things, the authorities and so on, at these mattresses, you know, that looks like it got st- blood stains on it. I mean, literally, it looks like blood stains. Uh, they had uh, little kids' chairs and little kids' cribs and everything down there. I mean, the whole thing is really weird. Jews have had a lot of strange, strange attitudes over the life. But, but, but then again, you can't make up the, uh, you know, the body parts. I mean, you can't, can, can you imagine, here's, Jewish rabbis is their top religious figures. And by the way, you know how they, whenever, uh, there's a lot of stuff written in the Jewish media about, and it's a pretty shameful thing, that there have been way too many Catholic priests that have done terrible things to kids uh, in terms of homosexuality. And uh, But in a per capita basis, the Catholic Church is huge. And, uh, and by the way, Catholic priests and the average people in this world, they're living in a society uh, that comes with them full scale with the Jewish control, the media and Hollywood and all that. You have all these sexual images all the time. And and these things pervade, they're everywhere. I mean, every priest watches movies, every priest watches television, every priest, you know, can be lured by pornography, which permeates all of our society and can really pervert people, especially when they don't have a natural sexual outlet with marriage and a healthy family life. And this is one disagreement I'd have with the Catholic Church. You would not respect Catholics. I just believe that um, I, I think it's I think it'd be much better if they adopted like the Russian Orthodox where they could marry and you have more healthy people. Um, but the thing is, in terms of pedophilia and abuse of children on a per capita basis, no religion on the face of the earth has more pedophiles. Uh, than the Jewish religion. I mean, Jewish authorities and their religion. And Jews are constantly complaining about that. And even Jewish publications have have done actual articles in the media because it, Jews are so upset about it. They said, Israel, you know, promised land for pedophiles. And a lot of these Jews who exploited other people all over the world, they can go to Israel and it's like they get out of jail free card, right? And uh, and Jews themselves are finding it despicable. Now, Jews in Israel try to protect themselves from Jewish porn. And by the way, Jewish porn 
is absolutely something that's real. The Jews have controlled the porn trade in years. They brag about it. A, a good example is a fantastic article by uh, Nathan Abrams. And in the Jewish Intellectual Quarterly, he wrote about triple X nicks and how Jews control porn. And he also quoted the leading Jewish creators of porn saying, quote, he said, I mean, this is amazing. They, they quoted Goldstein and many others and saying, the reason why are we into porn? Because we want to see the shikses. We want to see these Gentile Christian girls, these Catholic girls and everything, you know, defamed and degraded and hurt. And we're, it's, it's our revenge against the Goy. I mean, they even talked about the Goys would uh, beat them up and, and uh, you know, Christians would beat up Jews. And now we're getting revenge on them by by uh, messing over with them with uh, so you, so you porn. think it's a uh, you think it's a real story? I think I think it's a I think it's a, they're doing something down there, and you know it'd be a pretty secure. Nobody even knew it existed. They had it all covered up. Right? But I mean, but do you think it's like significant in scope? Or you I don't it's- think it's significant in scope, but I think it's something that kind of shows the kind of stuff that goes on, and yeah, I, and I and again the Jewish. Um, Rings, and we've had global rings, and there's been even reports recently about trafficking with body parts of the Palestinians that have been killed. Yes. The military is picking them up. So, and this has been going on. This is the kind of things they get into, just like the slave trade. I mean, the Jews were the, the biggest founders and the biggest runners of, of organized prostitution in the United States and Europe and the world. In fact, there's a book by Bristow, which I talk about in my awakening. Uh, called, you know, it's called the history of prostitution. And it talks about where prostitution really got going on an international level was in, uh, in Poland and how Jews are running this incredible, uh, horrible prostitution racket, uh, racket. When these Palestinian, excuse me, these Polish, Palestinian, Polish, whatever, lots of victims of the Jews, but they were starving at this time. And these Jews would come in there. And they tell these poor Polish people and their families, and they have beautiful, Poles are really beautiful people, and their girls are just gorgeous and, and very handsome people. And so they told these uh, Poles, you're starving here, and everything's poverty, everything's a mess. Um, we, don't worry, though. Uh, they need uh, all-par girls to take care of their children. They need... Uh, employees in America or other places, and your daughter or your son can have a good life, right? And uh, But, of course, they were putting them into prostitution on a massive scale. And one of the interesting things that was written by one Jewish writer, which is kind of a very interesting uh, summation, was he talked about one of the centers, that Brister, another Jew, by the way, who talks about the center of this prostitution racket, which was in Auschwitz. Auschwitz is where the name Auschwitz comes from. That's where Auschwitz was. Right. And isn't that interesting that Auschwitz, which was, you know, actions against the Jews, came from the center of the slave trade where they were doing a massive white slavery prostitution, ruining the lives, the whole futures, the very existence, and the degradation and suffering of these young, innocent girls by the thousands. And then the greatest single prostitution racket in the history of the world and white slavery was in the the 1970s and 80s 
uh, with the collapse in the 90s, the collapse of the Soviet Union. And they came in here and everybody was poor when the Jewish oligarchs took over. Yes. And millions of people were starving. And they ran a slave trade of, they say, over 80 million girls. Oh, this is a period of 30 years were trafficked by these international Jewish organizations. And they have these big articles in Jewish publications about many of them ended up in Israel. They burned their passports. They degraded them. They even came to rape the Goyim, uh, even rabbis, when they were trying to get revenge against the Palestinians or revenge against the things white people did, you know, or Europeans did. And they'd take out their anger on these, on these, uh, on these blondes and other girls that they wanted to deflower and, uh, and degrade. FTJ, Dave, FTJ. Dave, let's see if Richard, okay. Richard, did I answer your question? Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was um, interesting that you were, uh, you know, in um, have different answers to the question in that respect, because in Not my really, respect, I, 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 agree with, I agree with Dave in the sense that, <laughs> David Duke, that it did seem to show the mask is slipping. Like it gave you some indication about what these people are about. Like when they're put bringing out uh, mattresses which are bloodied, which are covered in you know um, stained Gunk. Uh, yeah. materials. Gunk. Yeah, like it's and, you know one of the excrement doing? and every other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but you know what's good about it though? Stuff. What's good about it is, first of all, it's it's a great way to kick off twenty twenty four. Because as I've said for a couple of years now, we are in the catbird seat and 2023 is going to be a great year, which it was. 2024 is going to be better. But what's great about it is, did you see the ADL's response to this? Uh, (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yes, Dave, did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Tell they they used the memes that were made of like rats in Jewish garb with those, you know, the hair, the Jew hair. I mean, it's so prevalent now. It's so omnipresent that so many folks have woken up to the stuff that you, Dave, have been struggling to get out for all these decades. That well, it's just like uh, here. We're here. We had something happen just a, a few days ago, like the, the thing charging Israel with genocide. And there's no guarantee they're going to be convicted because America has more power over the UN than practically anybody. And, and you start off with the, you know, the, the five members of the Security Council, uh, the permanent members. They are automatically on this, on this committee, right? So America is going to vote, obviously. Uh, to say that Israel's not guilty of genocide, though Israel's guilty of genocide. Great Britain's certainly going to vote that way. Uh, we don't know what France can do. That's the one question mark there. And there is a, also a big question about what Russia and China are going to do. Because you, you understand, this is how, this is how Jews get things done. They, of course, they're accusing Russia, they accuse China of genociding the, the Uyghurs, right? Now, the Uyghurs have not been genocided. There's been no massacre of Uyghurs, right? Uh, and, and, and. Dave, I'm sorry. The, we got to get, we can't but go the to Jews the Jews have massacred people. Yeah, we got to go well, to the. To okay, the, uh, well, next part of the question. But let me just finish yeah. up. Uh, okay, but so, I just want to say the uh, so, five permanent but, members. So the South China, so, France, Russia, so, UK. So China and Russia, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope they vote for conviction. They should. But you got to understand, they realize that if they vote for conviction of this, it opens the door for them to do that to Russia and China. 
And they would realize that because that's who they really want to get. But I mean, I'm just saying that is, is certainly something that they're going to consider, not saying they're going to be yeah. against it. And we, then there are two, there are Jews on the, on the committee. There are also as right. as an Israeli as on this dog on court. Right. And, and many others. So if you just take those very quickly, it could, they might not get a conviction. I hope they do. But it's at the same time, we got to understand this is a great time to be alive because in all Absolutely. my years, I haven't seen ever the situation when the whole world realizes, right. and it's really true, and Dave, that Dave, Jews I, are committing that, a massive remember? genocide against. I, I called that, right, Dave? Jews are genociders. Dave, yeah. I called it, right? Remember? Yeah, yeah we yeah. got it on tape. Okay. Good, Richard? Cheers. Thank okay, you very buddy, much. We'll get you back. Cheers, here. Richard. All right. Good to hear from you. Okay. Let's bring Michael in uh, for a quick question. I'm sure he's, yeah, he's usually Dave pretty Dave, quick. Dave and Dave, how are you doing today? Hey, buddy. How are hey. you? Hey, man. So I'm conflicted about Putin and his stance because wasn't he mandating all his people over there in Moscow to take the, the jab? And also I'm reading articles where he they want to have uh, – they're on board with the Klaus Schwab plant, uh, the Klaus Schwab plans is that, is that true or what I do think, you think about i think that? that's you know i understand why you would say that because remember there's no question that russia is the biggest enemy and they hate putin more than anybody else that's why they got a war going against them right now and this is part of jewish disinformation the way you go after someone who is your enemy is not by saying to the world oh uh you know he's uh He's, he's terrible because he's against the Jews. No, the way you try to, you, what you're trying to do is you, you, well, he does, they do that in a way to one audience, but they don't do it to our people. No, they want to say, oh, the guy is actually working in concert with the Jews because that undermines his natural support. This is what they always do. They always do that. You know, it's, if they, if they want to go against a David Duke or they want to go against a Putin or they want to go against a Dave Gahari, the way they try to undermine him, they do say to the to the Jews, oh, this guy's an anti-Semite and so forth, right? Like they say about Putin. But to the people who support Putin, what do they say? Oh, he's a Jew or he's a fake or he's whatever. Now, as far as the jab is concerned, all right, a lot of people and a lot of nations have been taken in by these, by these Jewish lies. And what they think is and what people are going to think, and again, uh, Putin's not an expert in any of this, and he, he should have handled this better. Uh, I saw through it, but again, I had some access to things that he might not have seen. But the truth is that it would it makes sense for someone if they say, okay, uh, the World Health Organization and the United States CDC, which is supposed to have the best medical care system in the world, which it really doesn't, but it's supposed to. And they're saying these things that we need the jab and this is going to be a terrible epidemic and all that stuff that um, it's, it's going to make certain people, other countries say, well, if the United States is doing this, they're certainly not going to be doing stuff you know, to hurt their own people. But we, they don't realize, of course, that the United States is controlled by Jews and the United States does things all the time that hurts the white majority of the country and and a lot of other people as well. And the Jewish, Jewish perfidy and all this, the Jews that had the CDC. So, yeah, and, but I must tell you this, the, the situation in Russia was never as draconian as it was in America. 
The lockdowns weren't as severe, no question about it. And the requiring of vaccination wasn't severe. In Russia, and I know many people live there, you could, if, if, if you didn't want to take the vaccine, you could get out of it. I mean, okay. No, okay. So there's some propaganda. This is I think there's propaganda, propaganda because, and this is what they always do. And yeah. um, okay. so, again, I'm not saying that Russians do everything right. But, and don't forget that Putin, he, I think he, he talks about the cosmopolitans, which is like another name for Jews. He knows about Jews. He, he went before the, at the Jewish Museum and he said, yeah. 85% of the communists, in which he hates the communists. I mean, he publishes and puts Solzhenitsyn books in every school, and including uh, 200 Years Together, which is might as well be called 200 Years Apart, but it's about the Jewish war on Russia, right? And the Jewish involvement in Bolshevism and the murder of Christians, right? So, so I, I think that Putin is real. I think he loves his people. Oh, I, yeah. think, I think he's a yes. little bit too... Um, cautious about the Jews. I think the time has come when he needs to take the take the gloves off. And I've heard he wants he wants Klaus Schwab out too. I've also read articles he'd like to yeah. see Klaus Schwab out of the picture. Well this is and this let's talk about that story as well, okay? Because that's an important thing and this is important. That's what this show is. We we people ask questions and we get to some of the points so people understand the deeper meanings about half of this stuff. Okay. All right. Putin wants Russia to be economically strong. He and every good nation, every big nation needs to do trade. If you've got uh, manufacturing goods that you want to trade, you need to be able to trade it. If you've got commodities to trade, you got oil or you've got crops or whatever to trade, you want to be able to trade them, right? So it's natural for a country, whatever you might think of these organizations that are influenced by these global entities. You want to play along with them a little bit. You want to go out and say, "Oh yeah, we're okay," and and because you want you don't want your country to be cut off. Now, they, Russia got cut off anyway, right? But uh, the, the I hear they're uh, thriving now. They're con- they're con- I mean, still thriving. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. They did, and it actually did good for them because they they realized they could survive without that. And also, I believe something else too. I think the whole idea of the WEF, like they're controlling the world, is a misnomer as well. No, they're not really controlling the world. They, what they are is a Jewish-created think tank and a Jewish-created propagandist mill that tries to get the educated goyim and the, the leading goyim with the leading intellectuals and the leading uh, members of the best families in Europe, right, get them involved in this. That's what the whole German fund was. It was led by Henry Kissinger, Guido Goldman, the son of uh, Nam Goldman, who was the top Zionist, who <coughs> probably why anybody else was responsible for the, <coughs> pardon me, the creation of Israel after the war, and also uh, Herman Kahn who was the guy that they modeled Dr. Strangelove after, right? And so Klaus Schwab was a German. He was a German. He's not a Jew. Uh, and his father, in fact, was a National Socialist. And his father is certainly not a Jew and not supporting Jews. And But the point is that he was a young, rising, intellectual, intelligent guy. And they brought him to, to uh, New York. They brought him to Harvard in Massachusetts. And Henry Kissinger and all those guys got a held up, hold of him, and they and 
they indoctrinated him and everything. And he became like the point guy, the Goy point guy. But as you know, the Committee on Foreign Relations, which had been run by Jews, Henry Kissinger is the biggest influencer of that for all these years. The Council on Foreign Relations? Council on Foreign Relations? Yeah, that's the big, that is the big Jewish organization and along along with the ADL, along with the the council presidents of major Jewish organizations. Those are the people who have the billions who control it. Klaus Schwab is something like to get some of the elite and so forth. It's about a propaganda war. Now the the real propaganda that they're preaching is of course critical theory. Critical theory is completely Jewish. I've, I've quoted this in the show uh, the, from the British, uh, the Jewish Museum, excuse me, ANU, and it talks about how the Frankfurter School were the people who start with the, the prominent leftist theory is of the Western world, and it's called critical theory. It's critical race theory, like there's no such thing as race, except for, of course, Jews who are superior, uh, critical gender theory, uh, critical capitalist theory. All these things, and all these were created by, and they brag about it, by all these Jews. The Frankfurter School was entirely Jewish. Was a that Strauss? Led huh? by Strauss? Strauss? Well, Strauss was the, uh, we, we, Leo Strauss was the head of uh, neoconservatism. That's a whole different thing. He was at the University of Chicago. No, this was uh, all these Adorno, uh, Horkheimer, and we can just keep going on. Uh, there's, there's so many Jews involved uh, from all these other Gone. but these but yeah. these Jews and they also talk about they knew has a big thing I'll have to pull up the graphic uh, for you and quote from it and it talks about uh, Marx how they were all Marxists and every one of them was a Jew all these all these things everyone was Jewish from the Frankfurt School which established in Germany that later moved out of Germany of course when Hitler came to power and came to America now, this is the source of what's called critical theory, critical race theory, critical gender theory, all this crap. And, um, and this, and this was a Jewish. And one thing they do in this article is they talk about literally how all these Jews, including Karl Halevi, they talk about Karl Marx, they have a picture of Karl Marx right on their webpage for this Jewish museum. And they say how Karl Marx, Karl Halevi, his real family name, wasn't Marx was a Jew. Marx is a Jewish. I mean, is a German name. It was a Jew, and how that Marx and these Jews were going to conquer the world with their theory. And all these people that found that all this critical theory were all Marxist Jews, and they were all Jewish supremacists. Okay, so, thank you, Doctor Duke. Yes, I hope great. that, hope that you. enlightened yeah. you. Hope I yeah. got some information that was good for you to in terms of your understanding. Okay, I'll hang out. Thank you, guys. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm Thank trying you, to be the answer, man, Dave. You are. We'll bring you, we'll bring you back in. Hold on. Okay. Question from our good friend Robert in Yuma. Uh, Dr. Duke, has Russia made efforts to minimize harm to civilians in Ukraine? Yes, exactly. In fact, it's proven. And this gives you a simple example between, you now they, oh, they've been saying the media says they're all the monsters and, preachers and all that. Well, in two years of war, <laughs> I mean, hundreds of thousands of people lined up against the hundreds of thousands on military on both sides, bombs and tanks and planes and everything. How many children have been killed in Ukraine by the Russians in that, in that war? 
How many people have died? In two years. And there's hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who died in military and and probably 100,000 people in eastern Ukraine, uh, which were Russians and 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 supporters of the Russian population, which has been discriminated against and oppressed in East Ukraine. Well, anyway, it's a total 500. That's admitted by the media. 500, 500, not 12,000 as in Ukraine. And another 20,000 have been wounded and maimed and you know, amputations with no anesthetic and all the rest of it. I mean, you can't, you can't make up these people. I mean, I, I keep wanting to quote Every time I talk about the lies that they, they give for all these different things, I always quote Jesus Christ when he said, you and your fathers are the sons of the devil and the lust of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own essence. He's a liar and the father of lies. And that's how they maintain their power, just like the Mossad slogan. By duplicity or by you know deception, by deception they'll shout wage war. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's exactly how the Jews have. They don't have us because they stand up like men and say, "Okay, we're going to conquer you." No, they lie to us and they get us in wars that are based on lies, and they kill our people and they yep. get our people killing each other. But now that's everybody wrong. knows about it, Dave. Remember that? Remember that yeah. TV show, Lost in Space? Yeah. Remember that guy who always used to cause problems? Yeah, what was his name? Yeah, I forget. But, you know, it's funny growing up with that, right? And you see this, um, yeah, Dr. Smith. Thank you, Michael. But, I mean, his real name, the guy was a pure Jew. And he was a prototypical (laughs) scheming Jew. And he was right there in front of our eyes growing up watching it in the 60s and 70s and and, and afterwards. He was always doing something evil. Always doing something like a Jew, scheming and causing problems. I don't know why I thought about that. Anyway, Uh, let me talk. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. But, but, you know, we're not saying that every Jew is scheming and every Jew is acting evil. No, only about 99.99. Yeah, but we're saying, but there is a lot of scheming and terrible Jews. And and again, I was quoting to you a little bit from uh, Ploker uh, about Jews and, you know, Yagoda. And it talks about 20 million people killed. And he even mentions, he says, he says, uh, most Jewish people have never even, you know, heard of Yagoda when he's one of their own. That that nobody knows about this. Right, nobody because knows. they've had all this time with exactly. Their Jewish media. Right. I mean, you know the name of Hitler. He killed he killed a lot more, you know, Christians and uh good Russian people and Eastern Europeans. Did Hitler ever kill Jews? But that doesn't matter because that's just a poor goyim. Mean, it's a stupid yeah, goyim. Anyway. FTJ, Dave. Okay. Dave, let me read something to you, and then we're going to have to take a station All break right. in a couple of minutes. Sure. Uh, but there's somebody in the in the uh, studio, uh, in the waiting room. You know, people can come in, and they can make comments. And when their devices are not connected – thank you, Nick. Uh, when their devices are not connected, it means – they don't want to come in for a question or a comment, but I just want to read this to you because I've, I've thought about this uh, creature, uh, Klaus Schwab. Uh, I think that's who he's talking about because this guy Adolf wrote Karl Schwab is 100% Jew rat from Rothschild family 
David knows nothing. Now he's probably talking about you. I don't. I'm sorry, sir. I've read all that and I've researched it, and he's wrong. I'm sorry. That's you get. You can read anything you want to read on the internet. You know, there's no evidence that he's a descendant of the Rothschilds, and it really doesn't make any difference. He's a piece of garbage, and he has totally sold out. He, he's all he is is a collaborator with the Jewish supremacists who are taking over this world, and he was corrupted by them. And a lot of Gentiles are corrupted. Everybody doesn't necessarily have to be a Jew. There's a lot of Jews. Jews are leading the system, but there are certainly people that have gone along with them. Now Harari is the intellectual, so to speak, the homosexual Jew out of Israel, <laughs> who really runs the basis of the WEF anyway. And I can prove to you that the WEF was started by Henry Kissinger, Herman Kahn, right? And I and this guy never said that. None of these other people on the internet that try to tell us that Klaus Schwab is a Jew because he has a German time kind of accent or whatever. His father was one of the leading Nazis. I think the Nazis would know whether with Klaus Schwab's, you know, Schwab's family, which is, of course, there's a lot of those people who think the Nazis were controlled by the right. Jews. And, and he doesn't Sorry, look like they a weren't Jew. controlled by the Jews. Right, Dave? He doesn't look like a Jew. A Jew has a certain look. He looks obviously. like a German. Looks like a German. Look at, look at Dr. Smith on Lost in Space. That's a Jew. Yeah, that's right. Yes. But, but, but anyway, now it's interesting. But it's the same, some of the same kind of people. Now, I don't mind the guy thinking this and believing this. He read it and people believe things that they read and they also, you know, they think he's a bad guy. So, you know, he might be a Jew, but I'm really particular. I've, I've exposed more Jews than probably anybody else in the world specifically. Yes. Their identity and who, what they've been behind and the, and the evil they've been up to. I don't think anybody has more exposed. Just read My Awakening. As somebody said the other day, Dr. Slattery is writing a book. And uh, Dave, let's, said, let's get let's get back to that. You know what he said? He break. said Dave, hold he on. Said, hold, My book Dave, is not going to be an encyclopedia. Like Dave, like, hold your thought. Hold book. your thought. Okay, folks, you are listening to the Dave and Duke Call-In Show on SpeakFreeRadio.com. Right now it is 7 o'clock Central Time, and we just completed the first hour and we're getting into the second hour. It's amazing how fast this goes, isn't it? Yeah. Dave, uh, yeah, I know that I know how you are with uh, identifying, how careful you are with identifying. Yeah, because when you get uh, something wrong and, yes. they can, they, and they can convince other people, it, it discredits the, the good things and the true things you say, which might be, nine, you might say 99 good things. But if you make one big mistake about one person, exactly. or at least do it in a sense that you really can't prove it or they can't prove it either. Right. They can use that to cast doubt on you. Well, this so, this guy is a um, is a troll because he's saying here, uh, David, your awakening is crap. So I'm just going to get rid of him. My awakening is crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK, he's gone. Well, OK, well, Dave, I, I, you, I, I don't have time and patience. For that what do you think? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I. Well, anyway, I gotta, it's unbelievable. That doesn't it, sound good. <laughs> it's, it is. It's un. It's unbelievable. Um, let's bring in Jimmy. Jimmy, go ahead, buddy. You got the floor. It's unbelievably so. Hey, guys. All right. Yeah, unbelievably Dave, good. Dr. Dave Duke. Um, yeah, you know, I was just thinking I agree with the same thing you just said. Like, we don't need any kind of uh, things that are false or not proven. The The truth is all we need. It's, it's overwhelming. And um, I got a friend that does that a lot, though. Everybody's a Jew, and, you know, 
You know, that's why I asked you last week about uh, Roosevelt and Eisenhower, because I've been thinking he was a Jew. They were both Jews for a long time. Some people say that Roosevelt's got some Jewish blood in their family back earlier. I don't don't know that. I never heard that. You know, when I I looked into the history of uh, Theodore Roosevelt's all related to the the Roosevelt's, too. You You know, he actually made a lot of little talks against Jews, right? In his life, he wrote about the Jewish role in communism, and he wrote about the salvation of the, the saving of the, of the uh, European peoples in America, which, by the way, is a legitimate goal. And uh, and again, one of the things I really despise of what's going on here with Israel is they keep comparing Israel with apartheid. And this is an important subject for the people tonight too. In this show, the people, the, the intellects that listen to our program from around the world tonight. And that is to point out that apartheid is not what Israel is. Israel is about Jewish genocide of the Goyim and Jewish hegemony and the Jewish supremacy and the murder and the crimes against the Palestinian people, Palestinian men, women, and children of the Palestinian people. It's horrible. It's horrible. And the they kill more people in a day then the worst quote unquote massacre, which wasn't even a massacre, it was Sharpsville massacre in South Africa, and this is when the ANC, which was a communist terrorist organization, but in fact the ANC was on the American uh, terrorist watch list, right, for years, right, almost uh, almost until Mandela was let out of prison, and he was, and there there were lots of evidence of uh, terrorism involved, and these people attacked a police station. There were about twenty thirty policemen there, seven thousand. And with with uh, crowbars and guns and other things, and they were just ready to necklace, you know, these policemen just like they did the blacks. And these policemen, you know, they were they were under physical violent attack by thousands of these uh, of these ANC crazies who were, you know, shouting "kill the boar," and they ended up uh, in self defense. They killed sixty nine of these. You know, terrorists. 69. 69. That's the biggest massacre in the history of South Africa. And apartheid, by the way, was not really about anything that like Israel doing. Israel is committing genocide. Apartheid was about basically the same principles of two-state solution, which we say that we want for the Middle East, at least even the liberals say that, right? We want a two-state solution, meaning that Jews can have a state and the blacks can have a state. But you don't notice, that's how the Jews always work. Even the two-state solution you got is something they wouldn't grant to the white people of South Africa. They wouldn't allow the white people of South Africa to get together and say, look, okay, the blacks are going to take over most of the country, but you can concentrate where you have a, you know, a good majority, and you can have those areas for your own country. You can run your own affairs. They can, black people can run their own affairs. You can work together and trade and other things like that. But that wasn't allowed for South Africa. But that's what's said to be the proper thing for Israel. But it's not so. So it's not apartheid. That's not what Israel is. Israel is about genocide. It's about ethnic cleansing. Hey, hey this is a good good time, actually. Believe it or not, I I didn't even tell you about it. Yeah. But this is a good time to read an email to you. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, we'll, we'll get you back in. Okay, sure. Okay, buddy. All right. Okay, yeah, because uh, I, didn't real, I didn't realize how I was going to, you know, do it, but here it is. Let me uh, get to it, okay? Hold on. Okay. 
It's from uh, Elisa. All right. Uh, hi, Dave. I tried to send this to uh, David Duke without success. It's about his show on Thursday. Please, could you forward it to him? I will listen tonight. Much appreciated. So I'll re- I'm going to read pretty fast, okay? Okay. Dear Dr. Duke, I've been a regular listener to you and Dave Gahari, as well as listening to you and Mark. I'm really enjoying your Thursday show as being a South African. I appreciate greatly your knowledge and articulate expression of the fact that the Israeli situation is not apartheid. You grasp South Africa, the ANC, and apartheid incredibly well. As it happens, I know George Galloway, and he shared private things with me. Hmm. But unfortunately, he's still under some bizarre illusion that Winnie and Nelson are wonderful and he's got a romantic view of the ANC. Mm-hmm. Galloway is quite good on many other issues. However, he's definitely not a commie now. That Jewish ANC member talking about Israel is a total liar. <laughs> now, no, I guess his name is Feinstein. Now, yeah. is she talking? Did you have somebody on the show that she's talking about? No, I was I was playing a tape uh, by him on one of these radio shows talking about the brutality of South Africa. But then he admitted that that Israel was a thousand times worse, right? So that's okay, let, let, me, let me let me finish the email so you can okay, comment. Go ahead. She makes four points here. One, born in 1984, really, so he hardly experienced apartheid. I always thought it was pronounced apartheid. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll just call it the way that most people do apartheid. I'm saying this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Apartheid, which was totally over in 1994. During the 80s, most of the laws, i.e. separate amenities and many more, were repealed, too. Mm-hmm. He knew many friends killed by the brutality. Really? When he was under 10, he was too young. Three, he alludes to witnessing a massacre in 1989 when he was five years old. Four, his mother was a child in the 40s hiding in Austria. Doesn't that make her far too old to have a child in 1984? She would be at least 50. I'm quite rare in that none of the fellow South Africans I grew up with understand anything about the truth of the ANC and communism. Luckily, my mom was always awake to Jewish communism. But I should get to my point. You mentioned rabbis and ecstasy pills in New York in the 90s. And that piqued my curiosity because this YouTuber, Sean Atwood, British born from Liverpool, who was a stockbroker in New York, had gotten mixed up in importing ecstasy to the U.S. and had landed up in prison in Arizona. However, he's now a rather prominent YouTuber covering alternative subjects. I immediately realized that he's obviously one of the tribe, which is also why he became a stockbroker, an overnight millionaire. When I must say, he comes over as especially dim. So I made that connection between him and the rabbinical ecstasy ring, thanks to you. However, looking into this further, I found this article, which is incredibly detailed, about religious Jews, money laundering, drugs, Colombian cartels. I'm going to put it in the chat. (laughs) I lived under apartheid. And that toad you were playing the interview of is speaking the predictable amount of garbage. 
Blacks were treated like teenagers. They were rarely killed and never massacred. It's fair to say they were treated like people with learning difficulties, i.e. not capable of voting or living as equals in polite society, perhaps. However, given their substantial cultural differences, segregation made some logical sense. They paid hardly any tax, had free medical, free maternity, free school, free housing. Anyway, it's a huge... Millions subject. of black people came to South Africa. To oh, get hold on, I'm almost done. Hold on. Go ahead. A- anyway, it's a huge subject. I could go on. However, rather check out the article. It's excellent. Best wishes. Lisa, love your work. Oh, that's nice. That's great. So here's the here is the article. I put it in the chat. All right, cool. Yes. Very so nice. did you want to make any comment about that, Dave? Well, yeah, I think it's very important for our people to understand some of these truths, right? And um, and here's the situation. It's, it's normal for people, any people, or any tribe of people, to work for their own tribe or their own whatever, support their own football team, whatever. It's like, it's like part of human nature. And it's normal for people throughout the history of the world, even before there was history per se, when before we had recorded history, that you had certain tribes or certain groups prospered, did well, and they conquered and expanded their territory and other groups would come back and conquer them. It was just part of the reality of the world. Now, you can't go back and change everything after everything's happened after a long period of time. But what's happened in Israel is different than anything before, because since the Second World War, we supposedly fought a war over this idea of equality and egalitarianism and this kind of thing. Well, what, what's the story here? So during this time where we have different ethics, we let the Jews come in here using the Holocaust as an excuse to commit their own Holocaust against the Palestinians who are guilty of no crimes against them or anybody else. I mean, this, this is an unbelievable story. And the thing about South Africa is, all right, when this was going on and I was still a young man, I mean, I, I really kind of admired South Africa when I was a kid. Verword was, I thought, a great philosopher. You ought to, when they tell you about apartheid, Go read his speeches about apartheid. And what he talked about was equal rights, equal development, that each people have the right to control their own destiny, and how the white South Africans were going to do everything they could to improve the education of black people in the country, to give them good medical care, uh, good schools, you know, and to send white doctors, in fact, to minister to them as well as black doctors trained and, and, and white people. And for white people because the vast majority of the population was black. And that, that happened, by the way, because of the massive migration to South Africa. Uh, when that happened, white people were paying huge taxes for black medical care and black schools and so forth. And those areas of South Africa put almost nothing back into the system in terms of taxes, right? So white people were sacrificing to make their lives better. And the interesting thing is, it's true that that you might call it this. It was the white tribe that controlled South Africa. But you know what? Just go look around South Africa. Go look around all of Africa. Go look at Rwanda, where the Houthis and the Tutsis were massacring each other. Go look at Uganda, where you had these 
tribal wars. Go look at all these countries, right? And in many countries, you had a particular tribe that had the power and they dominated the government and they dominated positions in government and the tribe that was on the outside didn't do it. But the only tribe that was called racist or horrible or evil or that you had to stop them and overthrow them and destroy them was the white South African tribe. The one tribe that raised everybody up in the country, not just the, the, the tribal corrupt leaders in that. And since the ANCs come in, not only have white people suffered, and th- like I said in the, the, my program that Thursday, uh, 30, 35,000 farmers have been killed and they've been bloody killed with rapes and horrible things. And there's been, you know, uh, and then there's been another, you know, 30, 40,000 killed on the roads, whatever, by blacks with racial hatred in their heart against white people. So this is the reality of, of, of the times that we live in. And the reason why that South Africa was overthrown is because Jews wanted to take over South Africa. And they couldn't do it, right, until they, you know, they were using the blacks the same way as others. And you know why they were doing it? Because Jews had a lot of influence with a lot of the gold. And they've been in gold and they've been in diamonds for years. They even in, in terms of... Uh, of uh, Holland and all where they cut the diamonds. And uh, they've been involved in all this. And they knew if they could, you know, get the whites who wanted good wages for the miners, who wanted, you know, a safe work conditions for them, that these Jews didn't want that. They wanted to be able to bribe the leaders of the country, which they have done with the ANC, and give the miners, which are almost all black today, uh, the whites have been run out, but uh, they wanted to be able just to bribe the the uh, uh, the government, the black government, and then these now these big companies, they they just mistreat the workers. They just rob them blind, and uh, it's just like slavery in those mines. Uh, and they get benefits because they the Jews have been at war with European civilization and Europeans for literally thousands of years. And uh, they've had this Jewish hegemony since the end of the Second World War. But I hope there's some cracks in the edifice because I think people are getting the idea. We now know what an anti-Semite is. And I hope all of you listeners know what an anti-Semite is. An anti-Semite is anybody who is Jewish or non-Jewish who dares to demand that the Jewish supremacists of Israel and Jewish supremacy, the globalist media and America, that they stop killing tens of thousands and injuring of Palestinian children, women, and innocents to stop this genocide. That's what an anti-Semite is. And, and so if they call you an anti-Semite, say, well, if that means I'm against the genocide of the Palestinian children, Okay, I'll take whatever label you want to give me, but I'm certainly going to be against that genocide. Right. It is nice to uh, see it happening, isn't it, Dave? It's great. Yeah, I mean, God. I mean, l- let's just talk about this before we get to the next call because, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, here. Um, <clears throat> just briefly because we do, we got another uh, caller of the question, but, you know, I've said frequently that, you know, Things are different now. 
right? A lot of times you hear this time it's different and it, and it's, it, it ends up it's not, but this time it is different. And I always, you know, feel bad for the greats who have come before us, uh, you know, whoever they may be, uh, who talked about this, uh, this organism. And you are clearly one of the greats. And I mean, I'm not saying that to, you know, to blow sunshine up your butt. It's the truth, obviously, and you're still with us, thankfully. The the greats before us who are no longer with us, whether they be men or women, and you know a lot of those names, haven't experienced this. How does it feel, Dave, knowing that everything you've been talking about all these decades... When you thought yourself you were nuts because you came to these conclusions and you figured it couldn't be the case, and you put up with all the bullshit that they threw at you and are still throwing at you, how does it feel right now knowing that progress is being made and that you were right? It feels good. It feels... um, I feel vindicated from the lies they said about me all these years. And uh, I'm just happy to see it. I'm not really worried about being vindicated or not being vindicated. Uh, I'm used to the hatred that they heap on me uh, because I know in my heart and in my mind that I'm doing the right thing. And I really am a campaigner uh, for true human rights. And I believe what I stand for represents true human rights. Not even just, I'm not just for white people, even though I think white people are facing the greatest danger in the world. We're the ones that are shrinking in population while black people are growing like crazy and they're going to be coming into Europe. And we're, we, we've got white nations under siege right now and the demographics are changing and the people controlling the media is, um, it, the people who control the media is the real force in the world that's driving ethnic hatred against white people. And, and they're doing it right now with Israel, in fact, because they're saying that um, all Israel is, that's just white colonialism. No, it's not. The, the truth is whites did conquer much of the world. And they wanted to include, you know, to get richer, and they wanted to have trade with those countries and business with those countries, and they wanted to... It, influence them in terms of their own power against other nations, including European nations. The British were like that. America has been like that to a degree, but it's not really America. It's Jew America. But the truth is that, and here's the thing that we got to remember and just don't forget, that when, when British went to India, it was really a divided country. It was all these fiefdoms and kingdoms. Many of them were very brutal. They were led by brutal people who just killed their enemies, who didn't, you know, it was, they were constantly at war with each other. Uh, they didn't, um, they didn't build the, uh, the, the education system they needed, the medical system they needed, the architecture they needed. And the British came, they built the railroads. They, they, they made India a modern nation. Um, again, I think Indians have a right to rule themselves, too. And I think the the British don't have any problem with that. And they realized they they had some resistance. They wanted to keep, you know, their unity and their empire. That's what people do when they get strong. But at the same time, it's, you know, 
there's a heck of a difference between what the Jews have done in Palestine to what colonials did in uh, the Americas. And by the way, that was a few hundred years ago. And uh, a few hundred years ago, even before, before, in just a few, a couple hundred years before white people came to Europe, but however we came there 25,000 years ago, it looks like the so-called Ice Age Columbus. But but really in the, in the more recent arrivals of whites to the Americas, uh, you know, back in 1492 and beyond, the Indian tribes themselves, the, um, in fact, Mel Gibson's movie kind of shows that. The Aztecs and, and uh, the other Indian tribes, they had, you know, they were, they committed genocide against other tribes, a far more genocide than what the whites were doing. And, and in fact, yeah, the, the, the genocide that Israel's committed and is committing and the and terrible repression, white people are amazing. When the, when the whites came to, to Massachusetts, to my, my ancestor, in fact, who started the holiday of uh, Thanksgiving, when they had their first Thanksgiving, and this is all recorded, it's all recorded historically by the pilgrims themselves. When they had their celebration of surviving the arduous voyage and the harsh conditions trying to establish this new land where there were no roads or no bridges or no, you know, it was very uh, primitive. And when they created this culture and their settlements and their way of life and their civilization there, guess what they did? They invited the Indians to come. And have Thanksgiving dinner with them, right? They're so racist, those whites. Uh, even well, back I, then, I they were racist. I, no, you know, Damn you pilgrims. can't even imagine Jews doing that in F- terms F- of the FTJ. No. In Dave, fact, the Jewish, the, religion, the Jewish religion, one more thing. All right. The Jewish religion is such. What it says, what it teaches is that a Jew, all right, cannot even drink from the same bottle. I'm not talking about with their lips. I'm poured glass wine of a Gentile because Gentiles are so evil and so dirty. Oh, we're and, animals. Exactly. I mean, literally. Yeah, literally animals, yeah. And yet yet the, the Puritans came in there. They invited the Indians there. They shared their food with them. Right. You know, they were kind. Also, unlike Jews, the Jews didn't try to change anybody's Judaism because they wanted to, you know, preserve themselves. Right. You know, the Christians came and they tried to bring Christianity to the Indians and other peoples around bring the civilization world. to the and savage. bring and the civilization and also even the salvation that they believe in the salvation of Christ and they were trying to do that. Yeah, we got to get to the culture. We're filling up. That okay. is that is completely alien to anything. Completely to alien to the Jews. All right, let's bring him in, Vinny from Indiana. Go ahead, Vinny. You got the floor. Hello, Dave and Dave. Um, yes. Hey, hey, you guys were discussing the tunnels in New York and. Um, Devin Stack at Blackpilled, who I did, I think uh, Dave Gahari is is offered to uh, publish his uh, follow up to his book he wrote called Day of the Rope. I guess it's going to be Day of the Rope too. But anyway, um, he did two shows on his uh, his uh, show Blackpilled on the uh, the uh, the tunnels in New York and the fact that. Uh, you know, these tunnels, they said, were leading to a mikvah, which is a Jewish ritual bath. And he made the point that there's been numerous cases of these mikvahs being used for sexual assault um, situations and rapes of, uh, you know, boys and girls. And uh, 
he had a show where he basically it's it's an amazing the number of rabbis that have been lect, uh, linked to sexual assault of uh, just a vastly higher rate than uh, anything. Well, yeah, if that if it, was, if it was like that with the Catholic Church, you'd be talking about you know, tens of millions. <laughs> Yeah, there was no investigation of what might have been buried in these tunnels. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the, the mafia would have, the Italian mafia would have these uh, gentlemen's clubs, these, uh, you know, social clubs. And, you know, they would have, uh, basically, they would use them to bury bodies. Uh, you know, they would have, uh, they would have excavations. And then, you know, the, the, the notorious gang that was uh, behind the, uh, Portrayed in the film Goodfellas, uh, they buried bodies behind the uh, the gentlemen's club that they you know they met in the movie. Um, but uh, you know, no one investigated you know why there was a bloody mattress down there or a stained mattress, and why there were children's uh, you know high chairs and things like that. So you know, the fact that there was no you know no <laughs> that went without an investigation. And then I wanted to say one other thing, um, Patrick Slattery. Yeah, Patrick Slattery and Cato did a show on uh, the election in Taiwan, which I think is a, a very interesting that uh, the Taiwan uh, party that's pro-Western got 40, won with 40% of the vote. The other two parties that were more towards um, re, uh, negotiations with mainland China and seeking reconciliation with mainland China, they got the other 60% of the vote. But there was this really odd split and. Uh, Cato did a really good thing that it seems like there was a CIA, some type of, uh, you know, Western intelligence operation to get create this third party and prevent the uh, Kuomintang party, which would have been pro uh, reconciliation with, with uh, China. And I'm just, you know, this really leads to my fears that Taiwan's being positioned into where you know where Ukraine was in 19, uh, in 2014, where uh, you know an un, you know Taiwan's being positioned uh, for an unnecessary war with China as a proxy for the United States, and that's just horrible. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you 100. percent I don't know what to comment on. I just I would agree. Sure. You guys have a good night. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. Hang out. We'll get you back in the lightning round. Okay, Dave, I, you know, I didn't pay too much attention to these tunnels, really, except, and the reason was because there wasn't much coverage on it. Uh, but I did notice one thing that the NYPD, this is what an article said about them, pleaded for several hours with these Jews to come out of the tunnel. Now, if it was us, the NYPD wouldn't plead with us for one minute. They would shoot us. They would tase us. They would beat <laughs> us. But they know they have orders directly from the top. These inbred Jews, and that's exactly what they are. They have like seven kids per family. A lot of them retarded because of the chromosomal issue. These inbred Jews should not be treated like regular humans. Well, at least they know they're not human. And so they had to plead with them for several hours to come out. If it was us and we were in a, in a tunnel, they'd pull out their weapons, they'd threaten us, 
get down, scream at us, shoot us, tase us, beat us, drag us out. The Jews they got to plead with. Did you see that, Dave? Yep. Yep. Unbelievable. Okay, let's get to the calls because we're filling up here. Okay, so whoever doesn't have a question. I wanted to. uh, Before you say that, Dave, hold on. To bring up something, though. Before we get to the next call. Yeah. Whoever doesn't have a question, and you can listen to this on your computer, please do that. Just remove yourself. Okay. So because we have people trying to get in, and we're limited as to how many people could come in. But go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I was going to you know, mention there's, there's just so many areas that we can uh, talk about in terms of this corruption and the innocence. And one of the biggest things ever, and the, one of the most mass, massive crimes, we talk about human trafficking, and according to the United Nations, that literally hundreds of millions of uh, women and girls and, and guys, even young, young men, have been sexually trafficked. And the biggest slave traders and sexual trafficking have been Jews. In my awakening, I bring out um, an article entitled Slave Traders Lure Slavic Women. It was written by Michael Spector, Jewish himself, I think, distributed by the Jewish-run New York Times. And it talks about the fact that these uh, that millions of Russian girls and Ukrainian girls who were sexually trafficked with the lure of good jobs. They were promising them good work and opportunity. And they quote in Jewish publications about this. And uh, just to get, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes because that's what makes things come alive when you get a quote. She was 21, self-assured, and glad to be out of Ukraine. Israel offered a new world, and for a week or two, everything seemed possible. Then one morning, she was driven to a brothel where her boss burned her passport before her eyes. I own you, she recalled his saying. You're my property. You will work until you earn your way out. Don't try to leave. You have no papers and you don't speak Hebrew. You'll be arrested. And in one of these Jewish publications, they tell the truth. And this Spectrum self quotes this white, uh, this Israeli White slave master. He's not white. White slaves are, of course, white people, are, are prostitutes. Uh, Israel white slave master Jacob Golan. The women who work here, like nearly all prostitutes in Israel, are Russian. Their boss is not. Israelis love Russian girls, said Jacob Golan. They're blonde and good looking and different from us, he said, uh, chuck, chuckling. Now, according to Ukraine's interior ministry, and this was way before, this is when Russia tried to start shutting this down. 400,000 women under the age of 30 were alert from the Ukraine in the past decade. And this was, this was in 1998. I wrote this. And the former secretary states, Specter uh, quotes the International Organization for Migration estimated that 500,000 Eastern Bloc women are trafficked into Western Europe and around the world annually. And, and guess, and guess who it, uh, Guess who did it? And then, I, then I've got an article by Moment Magazine, the magazine of Jewish culture and opinion, big Jewish publication. And it talks about how how rabbis are famous for going to the prostitution and, and, and uh, quote, they discuss the thriving prostitution of blonde Russian girls as a national institution, right? 
And it says, yeah. listen to this. I'll give Dave, you then we got to get to the calls. I'll give you this last quote. We got yeah. 20 minutes left for the show, 30, 25 Yeah, minutes. it's going fast. I will. So it said, a good customer of the customers are John's. This is a Jewish publication in the lingo. Are ultra-Orthodox Jews, pious men whose lives are guided, that's pious, yeah, by halakhic religious law, which tells them that when they can or cannot have sex with their wives. So on Thursday afternoons, boys right out of Israel, busloads of Orthodox Jews travel from Jerusalem, hyphen, points beyond Tel Aviv for a few precious moments of passion in the massage parlor behind the sand dune or an alleyway. Other customers are accountants, lawyers, policemen, or whatever. Uh, listen to this. The entire spectrum of Israeli society is keeping the hookers in business. Sakar, a cynical veteran. Now listen to these last quotes here. All right. They talk about this. This is the, the uh, uh, once the girls arrive in Israel, the crime bosses take over. The girls are usually taken to an auction house where the owners of the war of the various massage parlors uh, are bid on the ticket. Each one's offering a price. And then listen to this last quote, and then we'll go on. All right, and they talk about what they do. So they say the article goes on to note that many of the prostitutes in Israel especially those of Arab descent, as well as Europeans, encounter physical abuse from Jews who abuse them sexually, abuse them and beat them as an expression of their racial nationalist fervor. Quote, this is right out of the publication. They find that the Jewish customers only come to them after Palestinian uh, terrorist, so-called terrorist acts to get their own brand of sexual revenge laced with racial nationalist fervor, and they do it with hate and anger. That's from a major Jewish publication. Yep, sick, sick creature. So you see, what we're saying here is not. I'm not. This is not an anti-Semitic. The Jews themselves admit it, and that's why there are so many Jews right now who are recognizing the evil of what Israel is doing because they see it and they know it. Absolutely. Dave, um, let me just say this before we get to the next call. Uh, you guys, Michael, Jimmy, you, you didn't have to leave and say next week. It's just, you know, at that time, you can come back in. You know, if you're listening now, just come back in. Whoever left, come back in. Sure. Anyway, at any rate, uh, let's bring in, before we get to Richard, because Richard was already in here, let's bring in UK Steve. Steve, go ahead, buddy. You got the floor. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, perfect. A um, couple of points. I just wanted to agree with you, Dave, on the fact that the police are not your friend. They are aware they're in the paymaster of the Jew, clearly. And that yes. makes them devil worshippers, the bottom line. They're not ignorant or incompetent, anything like that. They actually know what they're doing. They've turned on the people. They are the enemy of the people all across the world. The police and the counterintelligence agencies are indeed a financial scam, a protection scam. The monopoly of violence must be removed from them. My second point is to do, uh, aimed at Dr. David Duke. Um, do you still believe in voting, that we should vote? Does it do any good? Do you believe... I, I think it all determines... One second, please. That we're in a rigged voting system, that this voting system not only is rigged through mail-order ballot fraud, 
but immigration is changing the demographics to such a point where voting, in my opinion, um, will be impotent. Can I have your views, please, on voting, Doctor? Yes, sir, you can. And and this is a very nuanced question. And I, I, I do believe in practical things. And I do believe that there are pluses and minuses for all kinds of different behavior. Now, I got elected to office. I think I proved you could be elected to office, even though the whole media was against me. I'll spend 100 to 1. In the first election, I had six major people that all spent more money than I did, and I won. And uh, I also have run for office many times, and even running for office can be a forum to get our ideas out. So it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But I, I do believe that if you're in a democracy, that it does make sense to vote because there's always certain disadvantages or advantages to also trying to put an input. And sometimes elections are very close on who does get elected. Um, even though I have a lot of difficulties with Donald Trump, the truth is that Donald Trump and I have a lot of opposition to him, especially what he's doing with Israel and so forth now. But there's no question about the fact that Donald Trump was a positive for us in many, many ways around Europe and around the world because it gave people hope that we should organize. And it made you know, a lot of people got elected to office throughout Europe who were cognizant of what's going on with the immigration because of Trump and cognizant of what's going on in terms of even some of the wars because he, he, he preached against those things. I don't know if he's doing that now, but the point is there's, there's and also he, he called out the lying media and, and that itself was a positive thing. And certainly if he got elected this last time, it's got to be better than what Joe Biden, if, if you, if we talk about that demographic disaster you're speaking about, the millions and millions of more people coming under Biden would have been coming in from the first Clinton administration, except for the fact that, that Trump ran for office. So, yes, there's disappointments about Trump, big time. And I don't even know if I'm going to support him next time, especially if he doesn't come off this Israeli crap. But, um, but you know, it's like sometimes you make a strategic vote and not voting and just letting them decide everything it makes a difference. But as millions of people are coming in, for instance, during the Biden administration, um, again, those people who didn't vote are said they were mad at Trump and so they didn't elect them. That put maybe it's going to put probably three, four, five million, six million people more into this country who are going to work against our people. And, and we're going to pay the price for that someday down the line. So I, I think. Everything has got has got to be, in a sense, pragmatic, and uh, and elections are a good way to get out certain points, to participate in certain forums, which we used to have. We don't do that as much anymore in America, but it was a good way to lend credence and lend voice to what we say. So I think I'm for anything that helps advance our ideology, and I think our solution uh, has to be in some parts political. It's got to be in some parts social. It's got to be an organization of brotherhood and kindness and, and even self-community among white people to develop this community and among those who are resisting the Jewish power structure. And it's also got to be intellectual in some ways. It's got to be ideological. It's got to be philosoph philosophical. 
in, in some ways it's got to be religious in certain patterns in certain ways. Um, there's all these things go about making a revolution. And I just believe in a practicality or a pragmatism in some of these areas. So it depends on the election. It depends on who's running. But I would rather, if I, if I know that clearly somebody is really working for the Jews and is going to cause us, put people in jail and prison, just like what happened with the, with the uh, January 6th crowd that's being sent to jail for years for nothing more than being escorted and, into the capital. And Charlottesville. And Charlottesville. And Charlottesville, for example. So, so I, I think that uh, there's a pragmatism that's got to be employed, but there also has to be a philosophical, almost not like a, it's not a purity, but a philosophical strength of really talking about the basic issues. Um, uh, one of the greatest politicians in European history said it this way. He said, our ideology, the things that we're working for, the fundamental values we're working for, the fundamental issues we want for the preservation of our people, our families, our culture, our traditions, our children, our genetic future, all these things, these are immutable. These are unquestionable. These, you know, these are like steel, you know, but our tactics must be flexible. So that's how I'd answer the question, sir. Thank you very much. Hey, Steve, for answer. Thanks, buddy. We'll get you back in. All right. Okay. We got it. Okay. Let's bring in. Oh, geez. There was a, I'm sorry. There was a caller here who uh, was appearing and uh, disappearing a new one. And uh, we'll bring him back in, but let's bring in, um, let's bring in Richard because he had another question. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, it was uh, just a topical question that I had to ask Dr. Duke. Um, uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the uh, Houthi web rebels, which the U.S. and U.K. have agreed to strike. Uh, this was news earlier this week. Um, uh, your thoughts on that, and also, if I may, your thoughts on the Shah of Iran, because I've seen interviews with him. Oh, back in the 70s, it must have been like the early 70s, uh, where he was talking about Jewish power in a, in a quite, you know, provocative way for a figurehead or a leader of a nation. Um, so that's my question. It's kind of a two-part, uh, given the contemporary events in... Well, we'll take America. the Houthis second, and we'll take the Shah first. Uh, yeah, the interview he did with 60 Minutes was amazing, talking about Jewish power. Uh, but, again, he was the king of a country. He was seemingly unsaleable. Uh, that he was unassailable. He was completely like immune, uh, to his leadership. So he felt like he could say what he wanted to say. And because America was depending on him some way. So he really sold out the people of, of Iran in many ways to this power. And of course, he took a lot of the money from the oil money they got in Iran. They put it into New York, uh, banks. And ultimately later, the America stole it. From Iran, and then they gave some of it back after the after the uh, agreement on not making nuclear weapons. But that that was not they weren't we weren't giving Iran any money. We were just giving them back part of the money we stole from the Jewish banks. So my feeling is he was certainly right about Jewish power, uh, but he cooperated with that Jewish power and he betrayed his own people because of it, and that's why his government fell. As far as the Houthis are concerned. Again, this shows the clown Jewish world we live in, this crazy world, right? Because America goes around, anybody that goes against Jewish hegemony, Jewish financial hegemony, 
the physical, you know, placement of American bases all around the world, 800 bases all over the world, trying to control everything. America continually sanctions countries, blockades them. Uh, again, we caused the death of 500,000 children, another 500,000 elderly and other people as well in Iraq. This desert kingdom, we kept it from getting food, medicine, everything. And we really caused the death of more than a million people. And we have a nerve, right? So the Houthis are being very courageous. They know that America could strike them. But they're, what they're saying is that these America does this all the time to countries, right? If America was a country that really believed in freedom and really believed in human rights, America would be sanctioning Israel until they stopped this this massacre, until they gave the land back to the Palestinians that they stole it from, and let let free those Palestinians out of their prisons where they torture them. But but America is not that way. America is a terrorist state because we support the terrorist actions that Jews want America to commit, as as we talked about earlier, as a golem in this world to enforce Jewish global hegemony. And the state, the government of the United States is also an enemy, not just of other nations' freedom and independence. It's also the enemy of the people who built America. And that's what's so ironic about it. And by the way, we talked earlier a little bit about South Africa, and I'll give you one interesting point, okay? Uh, the same people who are supporting the Jewish massacre of these children are the same people who were the ones that overthrew South Africa, who tried to open the gates to America. But the Jewish invasion of Palestine was done, right? And the the Palestinian people, who were the vast majority of the country, even though they had some presence of Jews and some others, they went out and they rioted, they demonstrated, and they fought against the immigration because they knew when a different people was going to come in, especially they knew what the Jews were about. They knew their racism. They knew what Judaism is. They knew it was a religious, Zionist, racist, supremacist religion. It wasn't about God. It was about Jews as the God of, over everybody. They knew that, and they opposed it. So it's so inconsistent for these Jews to get up there and say, oh, 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 it's just terrible that these white people maybe want to preserve the heritage of their country like the indigenous European people. Oh, it's terrible for white people wanting to preserve their families and not be a minority in their own country and not facing massive issues. It's just terrible to do that. But, okay, uh, but but these same, these same Jews support Israel. And these other Jews won't even talk about Jewish racism that's taken over America because of Jewish preference for Jews, Jewish affirmative action that exists in every institution because Jews always support Jews. It's like they got control over the Disney board and so many other corporations because they unite together and it's easy for a united group to control a group that's taught to be all a bunch of individuals like Ann Rand's uh, libertarianism like we're all individuals what, what's your stand. real name dave uh ann rand yeah uh, rosenberg or Rosenberg rosenbaum <laughs> yeah he lets you use their real names because and, and and by the way um this is the same jew that says well she's very against uh so-called uh government buildings like great buildings like like 
for instance, our buildings or the Roman buildings that should just be all commercial. We get, you know, I guess neon lights over to everything. And she's very against, uh, she's very against the idea of race preserving it. But she was 100% for Israel, 100% for the Jewish state of Israel, right? So again, these people are surprised. Yeah, libertarianism. And some of the principles of, of rugged individuals are great, and we believe in those kind of ideas. But really what she was doing was she was trying to make white people who need to sometimes collectively work for their own interests or common interests. If, if, if one people are always working for their common interests and another people aren't, who is going to dominate? Right, but and white people white people are like lone wolves, right? So and they, there's good and bad to that, right? There are. Yeah. All right, let's get to the next caller. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. And uh, I'm going to remove Richard. Yeah, that was here. great questions, Richard. Thank you. Hope I answered. Richard always has great questions. Let's bring in uh, UK Steve again, uh, because there was that one fellow who was coming after him, but he wasn't there anymore. He's not there anymore. Go ahead, Steve. Um, I was just going to ask you, Dave, to be honest, what your opinion on voting is and when the tipping point one with immigration, and two, the vote rigging. Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Yes, go ahead. I don't actually think that it makes a difference and that we might as well have, like, white elections, uh, like hold our own underground elections and try and steer the people to alternative elections to show the illegitimacy of the state. That would be, like, my solution. Yeah, I'm I just, I just, I, I think you were asking me, Steve, or Dave. Yeah, he's asking you. No, okay, I just want to say, yeah, not to be um, difficult, shall we say, but uh, you know, the format of the sh- is the show is for the questions for Dave. So, I would be more than happy to uh, discuss this uh, in the after show show, if that's okay. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, I'm just willing to push that because I don't believe voting harder at this point is going to solve it. I think we've reached the tipping point. But well, I, I, think, I only wanted to opinion, Dave, because I validate. I didn't mean to step on. No, 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 not at all. I just want to, you know, I'm kind of like a, you know, strict with that. This is. I this think is there's there's me. some advantages though, when you yeah. because there's some places where the demographics are more favorable, and some places where people can get elected. And I think that's if possible. Not if they're and not if honest, it, though. Well, yeah, with, if, if they're honest. But then again, a lot of places have ways to check, you know, like in Britain, you have a lot of paper ballot places as well as machines. But you have a lot of places where, you know, you can have poll watchers. And if you're organized well enough, you can have people come in and they, you know, they check who's voting, when they're voting, if they voted already, you know, if their signatures match, all the rest of the stuff. And, uh, and paper ballots from a record where the machine ballots don't, don't. And those kind of things can be fought in court. It, it, you don't have to necessarily fight that on the racial basis or on an ethnic basis. Is that I'm just true? saying, I'm just saying that there are some elections that can be won and they happen occasionally. I've seen now in multiple elections, voter fraud, and it's been brought to the courts after uh, the president has been uh, confirmed. But, but you know what? So and it looks one completely rigged because you're calling in the election before the voter fraud has been taken into account. Well, why don't we just fight if you're in a war and the enemy, 
uses the most advanced weapons or the enemies, whatever weapons they want. I'm not, I'm not talking about physical violence here. I'm talking about a little bit of uh, chicanery. I mean, the Jews took over because they didn't really openly, honestly say that they were trying to do, right? They, they didn't say in the we beginning that they were trying to replace, wait just a second, they were trying to replace white people. But listen, all right, let's say that a very intelligent, smart, and rich white person, because he worked hard, but he's dedicated for some reason. There are some white people that could be like that and be brought around to our cause, and we should try to cultivate those who have money to get them to fight for us. Elon Musk has done some good things. He's done some bad things. But what I'm saying is, all right, let's let somebody run for office, be maybe a little bit to the right or whatever, get elected. And once he's got power, if he's just stood up in Congress or whatever and started saying things, then he doesn't have to sound like a kook or talk about violence or or say anything that's even sounds hateful at all, but discusses some of the things kind of like we do. All right. And uh, and in politics, we have to speak softly, but carry a big stick like Truman said. But, you know, so why don't we help get somebody get elected who is dedicated to when he gets elected and that you can't wait for a time that never comes to change, but he gets elected and then he starts talking, just confront things publicly. And we've had some people. We had a guy elected, you know, from Kansas or whatever. They got up in front of Congress and said, I'm not going to vote for the Jews supporting the Jews in Israel. I'm not going to vote for them. I'm not going to vote for the Ukraine war. And he, and that's a very powerful thing. And that's the kind if of thing. They that candidates, how can you vote if they've removed the candidates, the Democrats, in a legal challenge, like, say, a Trump candidate? Well, in many cases, they can. They tried to remove me, right? I got elected in Louisiana. I had to fight to get my seat. I had to actually go to court and then I had to face a, uh, a vote by these Democrats. But we had so much public support. All these candidates had their constituents down their necks because it was like in Louisiana, it was, it was like the Trump campaign, but it was like, like it was like a few magnitudes more. I mean, it was amazing because I was the first candidate that ever said these things uh, that I said, you know, in terms of, you know, preserving our people, preserving our, our race, our heritage, preserving our civil rights. We're facing discrimination. We're facing massive violence at the hands of certain, you know, I was the first one that did it. And, and we were very organized. We had 40,000 volunteers and it's kind of, it's kind of hard. We had, we had more volunteers in my race in Louisiana than almost any state had for any candidate, even states that were 10 times bigger population in Louisiana. And Louisiana had the same population as a state like Austria, right? But it's like, um, but you know, we had 40,000 volunteers. So we had a lot of clout. And, uh, and, and so these things can be structured and we can build that uh, in an election. And we, within a party, we can also build an organization that has certain principles. And we can certainly word them in a way like I do on my show, what I've said today. I mean, we should speak. We should speak that we are human rights activists because that's what we are. Dave, we, every, we have to uh, close. And every the show. race has the right to preserve themselves, absolutely, their heritage, Thank and their rights. 
And if we okay, we got we got we got to start like closing that, out, so we're not rushing. They can't out. argue with us. Thanks, okay, Dave. We're going to remove defeat you from us the stage, argument. but we're going to see you in the after show show. Okay. Dave, let the listeners know where they can find you during the week. Because you, uh, you're, well, you're a machine. Go ahead. Tomorrow morning, I'll be on at 10 a.m. Central Time on the Rents Radio Network, rents.com. There's even a phone number you can call. You can listen to it free on your cell phone because most people have cell phones. They're free long distance, and you can get it free. Or you can just tune in on your computer, on your smartphone or whatever. Just go to rents.com, and you can get the links. And uh, I'll be there. We've had some great shows, as your, as the, your commentator wrote to you. And uh, we're going to have some great shows this week. So I'll be happy to talk to everybody. Awesome. And um, let me just say that we have a few copies left of uh, Jewish Supremacism. So go to MoneyTreePublishing.com and pick them up uh, because they are uh, very rare. Uh, they were sitting in the box, the, their boxes, since 2007. And they were recently unearthed. So if you would like an autographed, copy of David's Jewish Supremacism, go to MoneyTreePublishing.com and pick it up because, you know, it sounds hokey and cliche, but they won't last. So anything well, else, David, you want to say? They're not going to last, but you're going to last. Anything else you want to say before we check out? Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody and uh, thank you for all your dedication. If people want to support us a bit, they can go to Box 188, Mandeville, Louisiana, 704 Seven zero, and God bless you all, and keep on fighting, but fight in a way that serves us, not that destroys us. Take care. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Okay, folks, come on in for the after show show. We'll see you there. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to tune in next Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, for the Dave and Duke Call-In Show, where David Gahari and the incomparable Dr. David Duke will take your phone calls and discuss whatever questions you want to bring to the table. See you next Sunday.